God's very particular how he says things. So when he says grace and truth came in Jesus Christ, he didn't put truth first, he put grace first. Because it's always grace first. It was in the garden, it was with everything that God does, he gives people grace first before. Hallelujah. Wow. Isn't he a wonderful God? He is so precious. Father, we just thank you. You're so precious to us today. Right, I want to talk about three things and ask three questions. Jesus died at Passover. Why? Why did God choose Passover for Jesus to die? What does that mean for us? Why did he take the children of Israel through the Red Sea? What's the significance of that? And why did he take them into the wilderness? Even though they spent 40 years, they spent quite a bit of time in the wilderness before they had to go trundling around again. Why did he do all these? He always has a very, very good reason for doing everything. And it's exactly the same with us. There is a reason why, he took part, why Jesus died at Passover. There's a reason why we go through the, dead, the picture of the Dead Sea and why we have to stay down here and we don't go into heaven straight away. There's a reason for all these things. And we're going to look at some of these today. The first one, as I have spoken a bit about this before in the church, Passover. What does Passover mean? Well, it's called in the Lord's Passover in Exodus 12, 11 to 13. It's called the Lord's Passover. And we'll see why it's called the Lord's Passover. Let's look at Exodus 11. He makes a promise to Moses. He always tells you what he's going to do before he does it. That's the way God works. Exodus 11, 1. And this is after all, we had all the different plagues and we had nine plagues and he said there's one more. One more. The Lord said to Moses, yet I will bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt, and afterwards he will let you go hence. Is that, have I got that right? No. It's, oh yes, as the, this is what Moses said afterwards. And I will let you, he will let you go. When he shall let you go, he shall thrust you out altogether. So he's saying there's going to be a Passover. He's going to be thrust out. You're going to be turned out. There'll be one more plague, then I'll let you go. If you look in verse 4, and Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt. So God says, I'm going to go out in the midst of Egypt. Isn't it interesting? He said, I'll go out. This is why it's the Lord's Passover, because he went out. Now, very often we think, oh well, the destroyer, and we need the blood to, dis- to cover us so that destroyer doesn't come into our house. Well, we'll look at it in a minute and we'll find out who the destroyer is. Let's go into chapter 12, 11 to 13. And these are instructions. Now, we can't read the whole lot or else we'll be here all afternoon just reading the stories. So we, we all assume we know the story. They were, they were told to get the lamb, to slaughter the lamb. Each house had to have its own lamb. And if you didn't have one, you'd go and join with another household. And the lamb's blood was put on the doorposts, which speaks about the cross of Christ. Because it was the blood on the wood, 
which speaks of the humanity of Christ and the cross, and it made a shape of the cross when it dripped down from the top and went down to the bottom, and either side it made a shape of the cross. So this is a picture of the cross, and this is the Lord passing over for some reason. So he says, let's go into, into Exodus number 12, and we'll start at 11. And this is what he says, that when you've had the, the um, Passover, and you've eaten it, then you shall eat it, and with your loins girded, and your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. And I, this is the Lord speaking, I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite, I will smite, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, saith the Lord. Listen to that, I will execute judgment, we'll come back to that, that little idea. And the blood shall be unto you a token upon the houses, that where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Hallelujah. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. When I smite the land of Egypt. This has nothing to do with the devil. This is to do with God executing his judgment upon the people of Israel. On the, sorry, upon the, upon, well, they would have been on them as well. But it was only on, on, the, on the Egyptians. Because he didn't see the blood that covered them. There was no blood covering. We have a blood covering for us. He passes over us. And this is why today is Passover day. I've checked it. Today's Passover. And we, they, they are just talking about a Passover, about coming out. But we're talking about something much more. This is a, theirs is a historical Passover. Ours is an immediate Passover, an experiential Passover, something that we experience, that God passed over us. His judgment didn't come on us because of the blood of Christ. He should have done. We should have all been under the judgment of God. Though there was always grace, judgment was there too, all the, all the time. But he made a way with his grace. He promised it right back to, to, to Adam. And he, and he kept his promise in sending Christ. And this is a picture. This is a type of what's happened. And as we look at these types, we'll see the incredible salvation that God has brought for us. The immensity, the broadness of it. It's absolutely fantastic. He says, I will execute judgment. In... in um, for destruction, he says. Wow. Let's go on into verse 23 of chapter 12. We'll be in chapter 12 for a little bit. And said, and he talks about, and he says, again, he says, you'll take a branch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike the lintel and the two sides with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you should go out of the door of this house until morning, for the law will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. Now, the word destroyer there is exactly the same one which when he talks about, remember when David encountered 
he counted and he shouldn't have done and God says what do you want and he said you you your angel of the Lord and it says and he talks about the destroying coming in it's exactly the same word in fact it's better translated the destroying it's not a person it's an action someone was saying no, I'm not very good at English that this is a word this is a word which a a action a verb described by a noun a destroying there's a destroying coming but the destroying is not from him who we don't like who I'm not going to talk about but it's from God and we have been saved from the destruction that was supposed to come upon us it went on him not on us he died in our place isn't that incredible you see, this is the gospel. This is the truth of what we, we are looking at today. When, they are dis- when we are looking at Easter. That the Passover, which, is, uh, which was why Jesus died on Passover, because, uh, because of the cross and because of the blood that he shed, he passed over us. When he should have come to our door and came knocking, and he would have found every one of us wanting. But he didn't. And he doesn't. Because the blood, the blood was enough to cover us from the judgment of God. He saw that Jesus took the judgment that we should have had. We didn't. We couldn't have done anything. It was him who took the judgment that we should have taken. He was our substitute lamb. Remember when they took a lamb and they put their hands on it and said, what the sins that are on me are on this lamb. This is what Jesus did. The father did. He placed all the sins on Jesus that you should have had. And when we have faith and believe in him, that's what he did. That's why we have everlasting life. That's why we pass from judgment into life. So, that's what we see. It's the Lord's Passover. And in verse 29 again, it talks about that the Lord came to pass in midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on the throne, under the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Wow, they must have lost a lot one night wow the judgment of God for sin is a bit big let's have a look we very often quote John 3 let's go to John 3 and we'll see this exactly the same idea in John 3 he's talking about that we need to be born again and we need to be born of the Spirit. And then we had the verse that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so as the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth, look to him. That, that's another type. Remember the type of the, of the, in there, I wasn't going to talk about that, but the type here of the Jesus turned into sin for us, into, the, into looking like a serpent, looking like, the, looking like something that was of the devil, he became like that. Well, you know, that's the picture we have here that they were healed. He said, in, this, in the same way God so loved the world, in this way that he gave his only begotten son, that who shall have believed on him should not perish, should not come under judgment of God, but have everlasting life, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn. Now that's the same word for judgment as we see later on. Shall not judge the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not judged. But he that believeth not is judged already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
So people who don't believe have already been judged the same as the Egyptians had already been judged. Everybody's already been judged because you've all fallen short, but we haven't because we've believed on the cross of Christ Jesus. What he did on that cross was sufficient, sufficient for us for eternity. Isn't that a wonderful picture? So that's what Passover is about, you see. It's all about him, isn't it? I'm in, uh, I've got one more little verse in 520, John 5.24. It says it. Right. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, or shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Hallelujah. And when he says verily, verily, that's actually the word amen, amen. He's saying in there, we have lots of words to amplify what we want to say. They didn't have so many words in the Greek, so they would repeat them. So when Jesus says verily, verily, he's saying, you better watch what I'm saying here. This is really important. This is really true. This is so important. I put verily, verily in front of what I'm saying to make sure you understand that this, you can have life in Christ. And it's really important that we pass from death into life. So he passed over the people. Now, also, the people passed over as well. They had their own Passover. The Lord passed over. Let's have a look at that in Exodus 15, 16. Exodus 15, 16. I've got the right verse, 15. Right. Now he's talking about when God stood there, on they, when they stood on the other side. This, this is the song of Moses. And he's saying how God had protected them. And he says, he, he said, Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the, by the greatness of thy arm shall be as still as stone till thy people pass over. So he's saying that the water, his arm caused the water to stand still like stone. His arm was sure and strong to keep the water standing like stone until they'd all passed over. Isn't that a fantastic picture? Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over, which you have purchased. We're a purchased possession. And we passed over. Wow. This is what, this is a hint about why we go through the Red Sea. Let's have a look again. Why we go through the Red Sea. We're on our second bit. <laughs> why do we go through the Red Sea? Well, there are, I've got three little reasons. There are probably lots more reasons. Right. The first one, that honour and glory may be going to God, and that, that people, especially the Pharaoh, the Philistines, the Egyptians might know, they all might have to, they all have to know, might know that he is the Lord and that he is God. Let's read about that. That's Exodus 14, verse 4. We'll be in Exodus. You can stay in Exodus for a little while. Exodus 14, 4. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he shall follow after them and I will be honoured upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know 
that I am the Lord. Wow. That's one of the reasons. Let's look at another little bit about there. In 17 and 18, the same chapter. Behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And I will get honour upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honour upon Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So that's one reason why God chose to put them through the Red Sea. Wow. So he might get more honour. So he got lots of honour. They began not believing that it was God because their magicians could do it. Then they eventually said, this is the finger of God when the lights came and they couldn't do anything about it. I think it was the light. And they got bigger and bigger and more broad and more destructive until they came to the darkness and then the firstborn. But even then, they still didn't believe. And so God had to do something absolutely drastic to show and something with an everlasting memorial to them that they would know that they were dealing with God. And when you look later on, when he talks about the Philistines and the others, the Canaanites, they all knew, they all went back to this bit and he said, this is the one who took them through the Red Sea. He's God. Don't deal with him. They were fearful because they knew that they were dealing with the living God, not just any old thing. They were dealing with the living God. Now, also, it was so they might fear. So let's have a look at that. In verses, four, uh, we're back, still in, in chapter 14 of Exodus, in verses 13 to 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show into you this day. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you shall see them no again, no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And that's a fantastic verse. Isn't that a fantastic verse? The Lord will fight for you. You see, they needed to know that God was fighting for them. It wasn't about Moses. It was about God. It was about God. Let's look in verse 31 of the same chapter. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Wow. They feared God because they knew they were dealing with God and they feared his servant Moses. Wow. Well, you needed to do that to get these people into some sort of order. <laughs> but, and that's what happens with us. You see, the reason... God chooses us is to get honour for himself. In 1 Corinthians 1, we see one of the reasons how he gets honour. There are probably lots of other things, but these are just the things that came up to me as I was thinking about these things. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things, that's us, of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in the presence. Right, let's go to the end. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. 
You see, that's the reason why he chose us. He didn't choose people who were eloquent, who had lots of education. He does sometimes. Does he doesn't have many. But he chooses ordinary people like us. So the glory might be of him. He chooses rotters. So that people can see the change and say, that's God. They might not want to know about it. They might not want to accept it. But they can see that God's done something in you. That's why he chose you and me. What's me? A little Suffolk lad who, was, who could hardly read. I can remember looking at books when I was young and thinking, oh, he's a boy. I haven't got any pictures. <laughs> oh, dear. You see, because God chooses just ordinary people to show his glory from. If he chose all the big people and the people who had lots of then they would think it was them. But if he chooses us, they know it's him. And that's why he chose the Israelites. That's an encouragement, isn't it? He chooses us, who are nothing. <laughs> isn't that a wonderful thing? <laughs> Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful? You now I've got a thing, I can't see what I've written here. Doesn't matter. Oh, it, oh, I think, oh it's Ephesians. I can't remember. I've got a, Ephesians 1, 12 and 14. Paul gets quite ecstatic at the beginning of Ephesians because he gets completely overwhelmed by what God has done. He goes through all the things. We can read all those things. where he, 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 to the, But it's to the... Well, in verse 6, he predestinated us to be children of Jesus Christ to himself according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace. That's why he chose us. Chose us the praise and glory of his grace. In verse 12, it says, that we should be to the praise and glory who first trusted in Christ. He's talking about the first of the, of, the, of, the, of the Gentiles who trusted in Christ. And in verse 14, which is in a, he's talking about the spirit of promise, our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So he's put his spirit on us for the praise of his glory. Not us. It's nothing to do with us. It's to do with his glory. And it's all his glory. And it's all about him. And it's not really about us at all. <laughs> now we do, get a, we do get to do a job. We'll see that a bit later on. But it's all about him. Right, that's the first thing then. He did it to get glory for himself, which he did. In fact, you can go, oh, oh, there's a Ron White video, and you can go and look at the, um, the chariot wheels on, the, on, the, on the, red, the bottom of the Red Sea. I've got videos of it. Fantastic. Fantastic. So it's there. They don't want to know about it. Nobody wants to know about it, because they all get very upset. That's why nobody wants to know. That's why nobody talks about it. Right. The next thing was, he remembered his covenant. So he made a covenant. Now he made a covenant with, with, um, with Noah. So as, as in um, Genesis 15, with Abraham. He also remembered Noah. Remember when he was on the sea and God, it says God remembered him? He remembered his covenant. It doesn't mean to say he forgets, but there's a time when he says, this is the time I'm going to start sorting this out. I'm going to start now. And he remembered his covenant. Let's look at the covenant he made with Abraham in Genesis 15. I don't know what time.
Genesis 15, 13 and 14. Now this is after, remember we had the, the burning pot and God made a covenant with Noah, with, sorry, with, I keep seeing Noah here, <laughs> written down, Abraham, he made this covenant with Abraham, his, the, there was the burning pot of fire and the f- fire went through between the cut open carcasses, which speaks of the presence of God because it's the same picture as the fire that led the children of Israelite and the pillar of fire and smoke that led the children of Israelites and the presence of God that came upon the mountain and upon Solomon's temple. All these times, the same picture, it's the presence of God going through, making the covenant which only he could keep. He didn't make it with Abraham, he made it. He cut the covenant with himself so he could keep it, because we can't keep it. That's the wonderful thing, isn't it? It says, they will weep through the flesh in, in, um, in Romans. Why? Because as soon as you get the flesh involved, as soon as we have to get involved, we mess it up. <laughs> but that's why he made it with Abraham. He made it on himself. He promised himself. He promised it. We'll see a bit more about that in a minute. So he promised it to himself. And he said, what did he say? He says in verse 14, and he said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve, I, will I judge? I will judge, which we saw. And afterwards, shall they come out with great substance. Wow. So he said, this is the promise when he remembered the covenant. Let's look at that then. When he, this is when he spoke in Exodus chapter 2 to Moses. He spoke this to Moses in Exodus chapter 2. Twenty-four. Is it two or is it further on? I think it's further on than that. Oh yes, there we are. Now yes, now he's he, he's saying in verse twenty-three, and it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. For he acknowledged them. He acknowledged that they were in a state and needed to be sorted out, and that he had already promised to Abram that was what he would do. And he even told, 400 years, he said, they're going to be there. And then, I'm going to, I'm going to step in. And that's what ha- you know, that's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Isn't that a wonderful promise? So, he'd made a covenant with them. Now, God had made a covenant, his father had made a covenant with Jesus. And do you know what the covenant was? Let's, let's read what that covenant was. That is in Ephesians 1. Which actually we just read. So God remembers his covenant. And he never, never forgets what he said. He's not like me. Who forgets and does all the wrong things back to front. <laughs> right. We start in verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places or in the heavenlies in Christ according what this is saying why he's done it this is the reason he did it as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated predestined means decided beforehand us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will so he chosen he spoke to his Jesus and he said I've got a load of people I've got I've chosen them I've chosen them all it's a whole chosen race isn't it Jesus said to them you didn't choose me I choose you and why did Jesus choose them because father chosen you he made a covenant with Jesus all this time ago for people who he predestined for himself. That's an amazing thing. We're called the elect. Why? Because he elected to do it. And that's a mystery. Why didn't he elect everybody? I don't know. He's God. He does what he likes. does what he likes in heaven and earth because he's God. Isn't he a wonderful God? Wow, it just makes you humble, doesn't it? Makes you humble that he would choose us. So he made a covenant with his son. And we read this in John 17. Now in John 17, it's incredible. Seven times we are told about those you have given me. You go and have a look. You'll find it says it. In that passage, it references that type of idea seven times. We're just going to look at one of them in 17 Seven. He says, he's so wonderful. I just get completely gobsmacked at him. So wonderful. Look. 17, 7. For, I have, hang on. Here we are. Oh, verse 6. I have manifested, I've shown thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept them word. They have kept my word. Wow. Now, they have known all things whatsoever thou hast given me are thine. Wow. Do you see that? Look. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me. That's an incredible thing. And if you go through that, you'll see it seven times in, in there. We were given to Jesus by the Father before the foundation of the world. And he's, when he called you, he was keeping his covenant. Exactly the same way he kept the covenant with the people of Israel to take them out after 400 years. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's an incredible truth. Wow. Called us before the world began. Chose us in him. Before anything was. In, uh, in, verse, in verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost. Except the son of perdition. And he says about him, it's better he wasn't born. What a statement about you. Look. He, he keeps those who he's been given. What a wonderful thing. He keeps you because you've been given to him. 
Isn't that wonderful? So he made this covenant and we entered into that covenant. I'd never seen that before until I started looking at this. That we have been covenanted to him because he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It's an amazing truth. Right. Now let's go to the third reason. Exodus 13, 17. God always has a reason for doing everything. Exodus 13, 17. Oh, I've got numbers. It's no good, is it? Now, it came to pass, this is verse 17, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God let them not through, led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So he didn't leave them the easy way. He said, for God said, let peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. This is a fantastic reason why he took them through the Red Sea. They couldn't go back. Couldn't go back. It was true of every one of them. Every one of them. However much they complained, once God had taken them through the Red Sea, couldn't go back. There was no way back. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? They could not go back. There's a hint of how this happens to us. Let's look at it. It's in 12, 2. We get a little hint of how God does it for us in the same way. Because not what is important about these truths is that they are, this was true for every Israelite. Those who disbelieved later on, it was true they couldn't go back. And it's true for every Christian. Can't go back. Can't go back. People think you can, but you can't. Why go back on your actions, but you can't go back. Not in your nature. Can't go back to being born of the flesh and you've been born of the spirit let's look at this look there's a hint here in, in, in 12 verse 2 and he said well, start at one. and Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying this month shall be the beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year to you so he's saying this is something new I'm changing your calendar so your calendar starts now on this time when you go out he said, I'm changing it. Changing the month. He said, I'm changing it. In verse 51, it says the same thing. And it shall come to pass the same day that the Lord did bring the children out of Israel in the same day out of the land of Egypt by their armies. The same day. One day. It wasn't a progressive. Now, there was a progressiveness up to that day where God was working his plan out, but there came one day. They came out in one day. And in your life, there may well have been a progression for years where God was speaking to you. But there came a day, one day, one day when you got took out of sin into everlasting life. When you truly believed and you got born again. You might not have known when that day, if you've been in a church, you might not know when that day happened. 
But there came a time when you knew that you'd been transferred from one kingdom to another. That something had happened to you. That you were different inside. Or it might be a Pauline experience where boom, and God hits you. And suddenly, you know. You ain't got enough choice of not knowing. Because that's the way God works. So there's this little hint here that we have a starting point. That something's changing. It's not just the same old going on and on and on. He says, this day, I want to start anew. And that's what happened to you and I when we got born again. We all have our Passover day. When he came and passed over us, and we have it's a new day, a new calendar, a complete new start. Not some people say, oh, I wish I could have a new start. And you say, well, if you only knew. You've had a new start, if you're a Christian. And if you haven't, you can have a new start. Glorious. That's why he changed the date. Because he wanted us to know. It's a hint of what's happened. You see, isn't it wonderful? (laughs) What happened on that day to us then? For them, they were separated completely from their foes. They never saw them again. You have been just like them. For every one of them, they were separated from, from Egypt forever. No way they could go back. This is an amazing truth. People think you can go back. You might go back in your actions. Yes, they went back in their actions, didn't they? But then, then they couldn't go back. And we do. Sometimes we go back into the actions of what we were before sometimes. And we walk after the flesh. We do things in the flesh which were wrong, which we did before. But we're not after the flesh anymore. We're after the Spirit because we've been born from heaven. This is a wonderful truth. Isn't it wonderful? It's so secure. Because it's something, he says, look, remember he stood on that thing and he said, you stand still and see what God do. Don't you do it. You can't do anything about this. It's nothing to do with you. I'm taking you through. I'm separating you from them. The past you had is gone. He talks about it. I remember I shared a little tiny bit about this, didn't we? When we talked about our union with Christ. Let's look at that. It links in with this. And this is in Romans 6. Where we were joined with Christ. And, we, and this is why we have baptism in the church. We're declaring what God has done. Baptism in itself doesn't do anything, though it seems to have some effect, because most people, lots of people who get baptised, you get them baptised and you don't see them again. It's an amazing truth. I've seen it so many times. But that's another story. There's, there's, look, it says uh, in verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptised into Jesus Christ were baptised into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, you know this. Knowing this, that our old man, the man we were in Adam, is crucified with him. Just the same as Pharaoh was crucified. He's not there anymore. He's dead in the sea. Just where your sins are. You see why God said about his sins in the depths of the deeper sea? That's where they were. Do you know they never came out? I wasn't going to say. They didn't come out with any leaven. They didn't come out with any sin. Leaven always speaks of sin. They didn't come out. 
did you see the thing they did on Labour Party did where they had Happy Easter to the Jews and they put a, a star of David a, a loaf of bread and a cup got confused with our communion and they got really into trouble and said no we didn't have a loaf of bread we didn't have an eleven we had to have unleavened bread why? because there's no sin passing through sin does not come through it's leaven no leaven don't come out with any leaven that's why he didn't have any leaven in anything because he always speaks of sin so when we came through we came without sin <laughs> and the old man has gone forever he said you won't see them anymore now you have the habits and the things in your flesh they're still there but the person who, who, who did them has gone the person who lived in them and gloried in them has gone the old person you were out there in the world has gone the rotter as we would say is gone he has and that's the wonderful thing that's why he took this is the reason why he took them through so that we can't go back you can't go back there's no way we can go back because we've been taken by God it's a work of God it's not a work of us we might make a decision but it's a work of God <laughs> it's a work of God hallelujah hallelujah you see they were baptized into Moses that's in 1 Corinthians 10 2 but we were baptized into Christ <laughs> we haven't got we're not into Moses baptism anymore we're in we're not even in in um John the Baptist baptism this is the baptism of Christ when we by the spirit we're baptized into one body which body the body of Christ now when we died we died when he was raised we were raised we've been separated completely from our old life we can't go back to it it's impossible why it's impossible well let's look at in 2 Corinthians 5 17 I could have taken this verse as the as, as a, a first for today if any man be in Christ he is a new creature a new creature now that doesn't mean another just another no it means a new creature of a totally new race Jesus was the first born from the dead a completely new race of people you're a new race of people completely you you have been destined to fill heaven a race of people for heaven who can't go back who don't sin the person you are inside doesn't sin it's that which is born of God doesn't sin doesn't continue it can't do it wow isn't that a wonderful truth right as you said look old things are passed away because you passed over they've passed away because they died they passed away and behold all things are become new and all things are of God everything about your life is of God now it's not about you anymore it's about him isn't that an incredible thing wow what a wonderful thing he's done I just can't believe you see we talk in John 3 when he talks about you must be born again to Nicodemus the word again there Nicodemus is just he uses again but Jesus used the word which actually means from above you have to be born from above and that's why we're born from heaven We've been born from heaven. We're born of the Spirit. We're born of the will of God, not the will of man. We're not born of the flesh. We're born of the Spirit. That's what he's done. We're not in the flesh anymore. It's just in Romans. We're in the Spirit. 
Wow. These truths are so, they are so securing that you can settle in Christ and just do what he tells you. You don't have to worry about, oh, well, am I my salvation? No. Have I got to do this all the time? Have I got to pray and do this and do this and do this to keep in, in, in favour with God? No. Because you've been born for heaven. God's your father. And you're his son. Or, well, you're all sons, whether you're daughters or not. You're all sons, because sons have a particular relationship with father. Though men, you're all going to be a wife and you're right. So don't worry. It sorts itself out. Because <laughs> we're going to be the bride of Christ. So it does sort itself out in the end. Because actually there's no male or female in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, in heaven, we'll all be the same. Hallelujah. <laughs> so we're born from above. We're born. Let's look at Titus 3.5. This is a fantastic verse. Timothy Titus 3.5. <laughs> oh, he says, look, he says, not, not by works of righteousness which I have done. They, did, they didn't, look, it wasn't about them getting boats to go across. No, it wasn't. He didn't say, call, call in the coast guard and get them to carry us across. They were, he said they were shut in. Now, if you look at where, where Ron White says they crossed over, you'll see that there's a huge beach. And there are big hills one side, and big hills the other side, and an area where you can come down. And they were trapped. He said they were trapped in the desert. He said when they saw they were trapped in the desert, they went after them, because they knew where they were. They knew there was no escape. And that's what we were like. There was no escape. We were trapped in sin, but he took us over where we couldn't go. He brought us in where we could never have got ourselves there. It was all about him, wasn't it? Like it says, look, in Titus, it says, see, look, look at this, look. It's just wonderful. 3, 5. Look. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. He did it. It was his washing. That did it. Wow. Isn't that a wonderful picture? We were washed by the, the, the regeneration of the Holy Ghost. It's because it's his. Let's look at 1 Peter. Just back a bit. 1 Peter. Or oh, just over the page a bit. Sorry, going the wrong way. 1 Peter 1, 23. 1 Peter 1, 23. Being born again, he says. He says, why should we love one another fervently? Because we're born again, not of a corruptible seed, not of a seed that's going to fail, not of a seed that's going to disappear, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So if you have been born by the word of God, which lives and abides forever, how can you lose it? Because he said the word of God lives and abides forever. He said, then he goes on and says, all flesh and all these other things don't carry on. The works of the flesh don't, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. It's this word which is eternal. We've been born from this eternalness of God. Isn't it incredible? That's why he says we can have everlasting life. Eternal life. Because it goes on forever. Because we're born not of this fleshy seed, but we're born of the spirit. We're joined with God. And we can't, how can we go back? 
to being just in the world. And we sometimes we enjoy some of the things, but we know, we know there's a hollowness to all that the world enjoys. And when we try and go back to it, we find that it doesn't satisfy us anymore. And never will. Because we're born from heaven. We're born from heaven. We can't go back. He <laughs> says in John 10, 28, I love these verses. They're just so, so encouraging and so comforting to us when we're going through different difficult life. 10.28 My sheep hear my voice and, I will, and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. Eternal. <laughs> now when he talks about eternal He's not just talking about something that goes on forever. It's a lot more than that. It's having this life of God. There's a broadness to eternal life. It's just not going existing forever, like we do in the world. It's just, but it's a broadness of life. It's a, an abundant life. And they shall never perish. They shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. I've listed out the little word man because it's in italics. Any. And people say, well, I can. I can take myself. No, 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 no. If it means any, I can't pluck myself out of God's hand. Then he said, my father, which gave them me, we get the same idea again, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And I, my father, are one. Now, if you've got kids in the supermarket and you hold them with one hand, they can wriggle through. But if mum and dad both have a hand, I can guarantee you, they ain't going to get free, are they? And the Father's got hold of you, and Jesus has got hold of you. That's why it says in Colossians, you're dead, and your life is hid in Christ, in God. It's not just Christ, it's God himself who holds us, both of them. Oh, they're one. Isn't it wonderful? What an incredible security we're safe and secure. And this is why he did it like this. This is why he did the salvation we have, to cause us to be born again. That's why we can't go back. That's why, that's why we have this picture in Passover of going over the Red Sea. Because they couldn't go back. And you can see, he says, you can't go back. You can't go back. In Colossians 1.13, we get another incredible verse. Or every one of these verses we could talk about for, for ages. In one, one Colossians, I love this verse, love this passage. He said, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of saints in life, who the Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. This is what happened for them. They were translated out of Egypt miraculously by the power of God out of Egypt. And he eventually, eventually took them into the promised land miraculously again. We've been translated out. We're not in the same kingdom. We're not anywhere near the same kingdom. We're in a different kingdom. You see, we've been 
a different kingdom. He's translated us from one kingdom to another. I'm in the kingdom of heaven. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he did. It's all to do with what he did. It's not my decision. It was his. And I just, I'm just so grateful to God that he'd done these things for us. Isn't that fantastic? These pictures are so graphic. And when you see the sea come back, that's it. Don't see it anymore. And that's the reason, a really important reason, why he took them through the Red Sea. Because they couldn't go back. Isn't that a wonderful thing? In Luke 11, 21 to 22, Jesus tells a little parable which, which helps us to see what happened. Luke 11, 21. When a strong man, armed, keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armour wherein he trusted and devoideth his spoils. That's what happened. He took all their armour off them. Remember he took the wheels off, the chariots. He stripped them of their power. This is what happened when you got saved. He took you from one kingdom, the stronger man who you were under, a strong man, the stronger man, Jesus came and took you and he completely disarmed him. This, this word is only used three times, it's panoplia, which means the whole armour. Now when it talks about it in Ephesians twice, it takes take the whole armour of God. That's the same word. So the whole armour of the devil has been taken off. The whole armour. He hasn't got any. That's why if you submit to God and resist him, he runs. That's why he says, don't give any place to the devil. Don't even listen to him. He's a sniper shooting from the outside. He can't get at you. You're completely safe. You are completely safe. He might stir things up, make you feel ill, or he might do all sorts of things to you, but he can't touch you because you're not in his kingdom anymore. He hasn't got any armour. And when the sword of the Spirit comes along, he ain't got any way of defending himself. That's what happened when Jesus, he spoke to Jesus, he hadn't got any way of defence. Jesus used the sword of the Spirit and he was defenceless. He had to go off, disappear off. Pharisees were the same, they left off questioning him because they were defenceless against the sword of the Spirit of God that came through Jesus. And we have the sword of the Spirit and we can, we don't, we're not defenceless. He's defenceless. That's why I don't talk about him much. Because he said, don't give him any place. Don't even think about him. If he turns up, you'll know he's there. Just hoik him out. Don't have anything to do with him. Don't have anything to do with him. Because I don't look at it. I, I, don't, I just ignore him. Just not being ignored. <laughs> but it's the truth, isn't it? Now, he'll always come and try and get at us. 
but he can't touch us. I'm completely secure. I have been sealed by a seal of God. And I can't, it can't be changed. He said, if you've got the Holy Spirit, it's a seal on your life. It's a stamp on you. God owned. God owned. Because those who've got the Spirit of God are born of God. And are owned by God. Not by anybody else. Isn't that wonderful? That's why they went through the Red Sea. Isn't that fantastic? But there's another thing that happened. Do you notice at the end, he divides his spoils. It's not just that we get set free. We come out with riches. Exactly the same as the Jews came out. We've got time to look at some of those. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) It says in Genesis 15, 14, they came out with great substance. In Exodus, he was promised. That's what he was a promise. Remember we read that? They will come out with great substance, he said to Abraham. In, in, In Exodus 3, it says, they will not go empty. You won't, go hand, you won't go out empty-handed. That's in, let's look at that, Exodus 3, 19 and 20. You won't go out empty-handed. Exodus 3. And I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which after the midst thereof, and after he will let you go, and then he'll give you this people favour in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, you'll not go empty. So it's the same picture. When the strong man comes, he takes his booty with him. He ravages them. Just as, that's what happens, isn't it? When a, a man, they steal all the, the riches of the country and take them back to their own land. He stealed, not, stole lots of stuff out of him, from him. And what are they? They're people, isn't it? For us, it's people. Let's have a little look a bit more. He said in Exodus 11, let's see when, what happened. 1 to 3. Lord said to Moses, Yet yeah, will I bring one plague more upon Egypt, and afterwards he will let you go, and when he shall get, let you go, you surely thrust you out hence altogether. Now speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow from his neighbour, every woman of her neighbour, jewels of silver and jewels of gold, and the Lord gave people in the favour in the sight of the Egyptians. Wow. Let's look on a little bit more. And um, let's see the result of this in the next chapter, in verses 35 and 36. That's the promise. He took their unleavened bread with them in, in verse 34. And the children did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, or things of silver, things of gold, raiment. And the Lord gave people favour in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them as such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. So they came out with an incredible amount. And why did they come out with all this stuff? Well, where did you think they got the gold to build the tabernacle? They used the Egyptians' gold. 
The Egyptians silver, the Egyptians copper, all the stuff. He says they get all they required, everything, everything. And it's wonderful. But there's one thing he mentions here, which I'd never noticed before, and it was only when Car- uh, Karen was talking about, uh, he, she'd read about a little bit in, um, about uh, Spurgeon, and he talks about their raiment. He said they came out with clothes. So here they were, these awful, bedraggled slaves who'd been making mud, stuff and straw, clothed in the Egyptians' clothes. What a sight. I'd never seen it before. They came out in their clothes. They came out with somebody else's clothes on, not their own. And it's the same with us. Let's read it in Isaiah 61. It's exactly the same for us. If you know Isaiah 61, you'll know exactly what I'm going to say. (laughs) They came out clothed in somebody else's clothes. Look. (laughs) Verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation and has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom clothes himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Now, that's us. We are clothed with a robe of righteousness. We've clothed with garments of salvation. And we didn't have to do anything for it. Somebody else gave them to us. They came from heaven. They came from heaven. He gave them to us. Wow. And there's something else even more wonderful. Let's look. (laughs) In Deuteronomy. Now we won't go there first. So we go to Philippians 2, 3, 9 first. Let's go to Philippians 3, 9. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I do (laughs) Philippians 3, 9. Paul is praying for them and he's saying, not having my own righteousness, which is by the law, but that which is through the faith of Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. This righteousness comes from God by faith. We're covered over in it. It's, it talks about in James 2, let's go quickly turn to James 2, 23. To James 2, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him, to him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. It was imputed. It wasn't his. It was given to him. It was reckoned to him. He hadn't earned it. They hadn't earned this. They were given it. And it's the same with us. We've been given. He just talks about we're made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah. It's given to us. It's in Christ Jesus. Nothing to do with us. It's to do with him. And why do we have that? It's because while we're here, we do things wrong in our flesh. But his righteousness covers it all. Now let's go to that bit in Deuteronomy. There's something else much more wonderful. Deuteronomy 29, 5. 
I love it. It's wonderful, isn't it? What he's done. The more we look at it, the more wonderful it just gets. Look, he says, I led you 40 years in the wilderness and your clothes are not waxing old and your shoe is not waxing old upon your foot. These don't wear out. The righteousness of God, which you clothed you with, never wears out. Don't you want? He never gets tatty. It's always shining bright. Because it never wears out. 40 years they were. They, wasn't, they were 40 years wandering around in a clean place. They were out in a desert. Mud and dirt and dust. We're in a desert of dust and dirt. But our righteousness never waxes cold, never never wears out, because it's not based on us, it's based on him. Isn't it wonderful? It never wears out. Your righteousness, which you're clothed in, and your salvation, which you're clothed in, never wears out. And the shoes never wear out. The gospel never wears out, which you're shod with. It never wears out. It's never changed. It's always the same. And it'll always do what he said it would do. Not, it doesn't matter whether you are a 21st century Christian or a 1st century Christian. It's still the same. It doesn't change. It never wears out. <laughs> and then we see another little picture. That we saw that the gold and silver were for building the tabernacle. Now let's read in Ephesians 4 and we get a different picture here. Another picture of what happens to us. The tabernacle was built with people out of, who, who came out of captives. Look, we'll see that in Ephesians 4. It's wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> it's building on the pond. On pond. <laughs> it's like a mound of gold which just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Isn't it wonderful what he's done? So the gold they took out, which God gave them, God used that to build his tabernacle. And in the same way, you read in Ephesians 4, verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Whereof he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivities captive and gave gifts unto men. Wow, it's the same picture. When we lay captivities captive. Now why is it captivities captive? Well, because before, it says in Romans 6, we were captives and slaves to sin. Now we're caps and slaves to gold. For righteousness. So we're still captives, but we're captives to this God of love, not to a vicious, nasty God, demonic stuff. We're captives to God now. For his righteousness sake. That's what's happened to us. And he says, what are these things? What were the gifts? They're not gold and silver. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up. Just as the gold and the silver and all the materials were there for the building up the tabernacle in the wilderness, so all these gifts which are given to us for building up the church. That's why he doesn't take us straight to heaven. Because he's got a purpose for us while we're here on earth. Building up his kingdom. That's what he's given us all a job to do. To encourage one another, to build one another up. We get a similar idea in 1 Corinthians 12. Where you say, well I haven't got a ministry like this, I'm not a pastor, a prophet, 
an evangelist or a teacher. But he says, look, I might be something different. And so 1 Corinthians 12, we just see just two, a little tiny bit here where he's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are also gifts. And I'm going to link them in because it has the same ideas of apostles and prophets in here. In 1 Corinthians 12, th- verse 3. Is that right? Have I got the wrong bit there? 1 Corinthians 12. Sorry, 25, I'm looking at the wrong bit. 12, 25. Then he says, well, he's talking about the body here, which is the body of Christ, where we are part of, and other people, all people have a, a help, are helpful for the body. Just like in your body, there are bits that everybody sees which are useful, like the arms and legs and the mouth and the ears, and there are bits that you don't see which are all very, very useful, like your heart and all the other stuff that happens. So he's taking the same picture and using it. And there's some people who are seen and some people are not. But they're all very important. They all have a ministry. And he said that should, there should be no schism in them or no division, but the members should have the same care one for another. Can you see the same edifying idea here? That whether one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. One member's honoured, all members rejoice. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helps, governments, diversity and tongues. So all those things, you, if you haven't got a, a, a thing there, you can be a help. If you say, oh, I can't do any of those things, you are a help. Whatever you are. But then you, these things are to build up the body of Christ. And that's why he took us and left us here. So we can build up the body. And that is the ministry of this, of this group, isn't it? The glory people. To build up people. To encourage people. To show them that if they get filled with the Holy Ghost, everything will change. To encourage and lift up the brokenhearted. To, to come alongside the captives and set them free. That's why we go where we go. That's why we do what we do. And that's what God has called us to do here today. And for the rest of our lives, we're called to be part of this body, to building up. Because it gets go back into, 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 um, into Ephesians again. Ephesians 4. However great our salvation is, and we've seen how great it is, and how secure it is, it's from that position. It was because they were safe from the Egyptians that they could have safety out in the desert. That's why God did it. He put them in there in Egypt to start with, because it was a safe place for them to grow, and he put them in the wilderness because it was a safe place to grow to build and to come and worship him and have the presence of God in the midst of their camp. Wow, when we were singing, I don't think people understand. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. The Lord thy God in the midst of you, inside of you, is mighty. It's the God in the side of the camp who's mighty. And that's why we've come together for the purpose of God, Lord, to build up that the whole body fitly joined together every joint supplying to the effectual working of the measure every part, making increase of the body and edifying itself in love. So this is what we're here to do, 
to build up. We're not just here to enjoy our salvation, which we are, but we're here to have a purpose, to bring the presence of God to people. That's what we're here for, and that's what this picture's all about. That's why we're left here, to build up the body of Christ. And it talks in Romans 12. Let's just read a little bit from Romans 12, and then we'll finish. See, it's all in the plan of God. This is all in the plan of God. It's not my idea. It's not your idea. This is God's idea. And God's why he wants to do it. He saves us out of the world for himself. Then he said, look, he said, I say unto you, this is John, it's Romans 12, 3, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself highly than others, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now everyone in this room has the measure of faith. Just get on with what God has told them to do. You've got it. For we have been many members of one body, and not more members have the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every member of one another, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. For the prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the Persian of faith. If, if ministering or ministry or teaching and teaching or exhorting with exhortation, right, then it says, look, it goes on in verse 10, being kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, honouring, preferring one another. Right? So we're here, not for ourselves, but we're here for him and for building up this body. That's what he gave him the gifts for. We weren't just taken out and then left in limbo. So what are we going to do now? Are we going to go eventually going to go into Israel? No. There was something, a greater thing, that the presence of God and the glory of God and the glory of, of the church may be built up before we go and get taken up into glory. That's what we're here for today. And I thank him that the, the security of it and the basis of it is all that he took us out of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of his dear son. We just thank you, Lord, today that you've done these great things for us. We thank you. We're so secure in you, Lord, that we can't get out of what you've called us into, Lord. And we just pray you will be faithful in spreading your word, in spreading your gospel, in bringing your good news to people, Lord. Everyone we meet, Lord Jesus, just challenge us all, Lord, for this work that you've caused what us to do, Lord, to bring the glory of God and the presence of God into other people's lives. We just thank you for this, Lord Jesus. Amen.